you have your Bible, open to Ecclesiastes chapter 7. We're going to get there in a minute. And I want to ask a favor from you this morning. Everybody ready for a favor? Who wants to do their pastor a favor today? Yes. Seven of you. Thank you. (laughs) Dude, don't throw your wife under the bus, man. Uh, The favor is this. Uh, It's going to take, I think God has a really good message for us this morning in Ecclesiastes chapter 7, but it's going to take us to, to fully mentally engage this morning, all right? Does that make sense? That's the favor that I want from you, all right? To fully mentally engage because we're going to kind of tear at some ideas, some understanding, some definitions that we think we have an idea of, and we're going to kind of tear at those and, and, and rework them and then take that reworked definition of the word wisdom and then build from that, all right? So it's going to take, and there's some, some steps that we're going to have to take. So it's, it's going to take us to, to really engage mentally in, in what's happening. Can you do me that favor? Mike can. Amanda can. All right. Um, so wisdom. What, what is wisdom? Proverbs 9, 10, it's on the screen, says this. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. It's, it's this verse that really helps us to, to change, maybe think a different perspective about this idea of wisdom and what wisdom is. If, if, if we were to, to ask one another and, and to write down a definition of wisdom, we'd have a lot of like making correct choices, doing the right thing, understanding. Choices and understanding are words that come, come to mind a lot when we think of what, what wisdom is. Making the right choice or, or having understanding to make the right choice. Where do I go to college? Uh, what job do I take? What do I do next? Which person do I date? Do we start trying to have kids? Are these wise choices for me to make? This is sort of the, the surface definition of what wisdom is. But I think that, that Ecclesiastes, all throughout the book, and I, I think we're, we're kind of coming to grips with it, uh, would define wisdom differently. And, and Proverbs, this proverb written by the same guy that wrote Ecclesiastes, would define wisdom a little bit differently. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and knowledge of the Holy One is insight. This is a proverb that, that builds on one another. It says the same thing in two different ways which helps us to understand what wisdom really is. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and knowledge of the Holy One is insight. So wisdom and insight kind of go, to get, go together, and fear of the Lord and knowledge of the Holy One kind of go together. All right? Make sense? So this is sort of the, the definition that we're going to work from on what wisdom is. Wisdom begins, wisdom begins and gets its nourishment and perseverance from rightly viewing the Lord. Say that again. And it's not on the screen because I, I want your eyes on me, not up there. All right? If you want to write it down, I'll say it slowly. Wisdom begins and gets its nourishment and perseverance 
from rightly viewing the Lord. You follow that? I think that's what Ecclesiastes is teaching us. I think that's what this proverb is teaching us. That wisdom, it's not just like the beginning, like the first step towards wisdom is fearing the Lord. It gets its perseverance, its, its strength to persevere, its nourishment. We all have to have nourishment to continue. Wisdom in us gets its nourishment, and if we stop having this nourishment, the wisdom fades like we have a flower bed with some beautiful flowers in it, but right now they're withered, nasty, like brown. All right? In my house you go, you look in my flower bed, there's nasty brown flowers that are just going to completely fall apart soon. All right? Because they stopped getting their nourishment and cold has happened. Wisdom has its nourishment and its perseverance rightly viewing the Lord. So as we walk, as we proceed, as we desire to know wisdom and to have wisdom and to have insight, the key is to rightly view the Lord. It's like this, like a pair of sunglasses that are tinted blue or tinted red, right? Or yellow or whatever your glasses are tinted. Maybe it's brown. I don't know. Uh, When we view things through blue sunglasses, everything looks blue. When we view things through dirty sunglasses, we don't view them correctly. If your sunglasses are dirty, if you have children who handle your glasses, you have thumbprints on them. Or you go to a pool and you get in the water and the chlorine kind of sticks to the glass and you can't see through them. And you don't, you don't view things purely. Or you might have a scratch or you dropped your glasses once and you have a, a big scratch. And so you learn to kind of see past that scratch, but ultimately that scratch is always going to be there and you can kind of learn to see past it. This is the fear of the Lord is helping us to buff out that scratch, to clean those glasses, to to not have tinted glasses so that we can rightly view the Lord and our nourishment and our wisdom is more pure. All right? You following with me? You tracking there? These verses that we'll get to in Ecclesiastes chapter 7 pit wisdom against folly. And when we lean towards folly, we, learn, we lean towards what this world is trying to get us to lean to, what marketing tries to get us to lean to. There's something in us that is lacking, and something in this world can provide for what is lacking. That's what our flesh and stuff in this world tries to get us to believe. There's something lacking in you, and there's something in this world that can fill that lack. What, that's folly. What wisdom says is there's something lacking in you, and that thing that's lacking can be provided by God. This is wisdom versus folly. In Ecclesiastes, we get there. But I, I want to I spend a, a, just a, a couple of minutes going a, a cursory view of what it means to fear the Lord. A few weeks ago, we, we talked about this stuff in depth and in detail. So what does it mean to fear the Lord? What does it mean to fear God? Because I think that's a, that's a notion that we hear a lot, but don't really get taught much about what it actually means to fear the Lord. What are the steps to take for us to fear the Lord? Because if it's the beginning of wisdom, we really need to know it. First of all, step number one in fearing the Lord is, is to be careful 
when you approach God. Be careful of how you view God. Be careful of how you relate to God and how God relates to you because this is God. It means a reverence. God is whoever and whenever he wants to be and does whatever he wants to do. He's not to be trifled with. There is a healthy respect that we need to have with God. Remember when I talked about this a couple of weeks ago, I said the, the people carrying the ark of the Lord. Do you remember that story in Scripture in the Old Testament? So people are carrying the ark of the Lord, and it starts to they like hit a hole, and it falls, starts to fall. And some guy decides, I'm going to grab it, which you'd think is a right notion. I'm going to grab it and keep it from falling. He touches the ark where the glory of the Lord sits, and he's dead. Don't trifle with God. The beginning of this understanding of the fear of the Lord is to to fully understand how you relate to him and how he relates to you. You are under him and he is above you and he can do whatever he wants whenever he wants to. To fear the Lord is to have a working knowledge of that. You wouldn't ever go stick your hand in a fireplace that was lit because we understand what's there. We have a healthy respect for that. As we relate to God, we need to have this healthy respect for him. Second, we need to speak less and listen more. We've just come out of the season of politics. Anybody happy that Tuesday is over? You know why? Anybody happy that they don't have to hear a debate again? Anybody really frustrated at a debate because nobody listened to the questions that are asked? And nobody listens to the answers that are given? They're talking past one another? That happens all the time. And we learn that. We learn how to talk past each other. Dave and I are in an argument. All I want to do is communicate to Dave, and all Dave wants to do is communicate to me. Neither one of us want to hear what the other one has to say. The beginning of wisdom, the fear of the Lord, is to speak less and listen more. How many times in the last month have you prayed silently? And I don't mean not verbally. I mean, been in a, you said, dear God, and then nothing else. How many times do we pray like that? Do you pray, do you pray like that? Where you just sit and listen to God? It's, it's really hard. Because our flesh wants to just act and do and be and talk. The fear of the Lord is to speak less and listen more. These are really important. Third, be patient and trust him. God is a God of delayed gratification. He's calling us to a life lived with faith, trust, and surrender to who he is. Where you are right now in the job and life and circumstances you're in is because God wants you there. Your circumstances are not defined, don't define the goodness of God, as as Dave led us in the, the call to worship this morning. Where you find yourself does not determine whether or not God is good or not. Be patient. God is weaving something in you. Trust him. Fourth, be restful. Be restful. Ecclesiastes 4, 6 has been my favorite verse that we've studied. Better is a handful of rest than two hands full of toil. So many times, and this is, again, I don't think I've, I've 
spoken this enough. These steps are, this fear of the Lord is, is us trying to see God more purely and understand how we relate to him and how he relates to us. And that provides the germination, the seed, the, the nourishment that, that we need to proceed in this world. I hope, you, I hope you're following here. And, and to be at rest is crucial there. We want to go and be and do for God. We want to go and do and be for God so that God will be for us if we're honest with ourselves. So that God will give to us. The fear of the Lord, the beginning of wisdom, at the core of, of what we're striving for, should be to be at rest. Look at that sweet little baby just at her mom. She's feeding her. Turn around. Look. Seriously. <laughs> How old is she? Like three weeks? Two weeks? Be at rest. What is she worried about right now? What do you think in her two-week-old mind she's worried about? nothing. The beginning of wisdom is to be at rest. And my heart needs to be at rest. Your heart needs to be at rest. The last thing, and I think probably the most important thing, is to be aware of your position. God is God and you're not. Pound that into your brain. God is God and you're not. He is smarter than you. He is stronger than you. He's better than you. Understand the relationship that you have to God. So let's get to Ecclesiastes chapter 7. Finally. And I've Throw those up there on the, the, the first one there, Ben. Uh, there we go. No, keep going. There we go. This is Ecclesiastes 7.1, and I, I put a heading in front of this because it, 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 I think it helps us to understand this. When seeking wisdom, know this. When seeking wisdom, know this. And they, he, these are just simple pithy statements for us to understand what wisdom is and how to get it. A good name is better than precious ointment. And the day of death than the day of birth. Do we see that? Do you see what he just said? The day of death is better than the day of birth. Not your death, not your birth, but the day of death is better than the day of birth. What happens, someone close to you dies, what emotions do you feel? Not rhetorical. Sorrow, thank you. What else? Loss. Emptiness. Sorrow, loss, emptiness. God is moving and orchestrating events to get us to that point because we recognize our position there. We are at rest there. When you feel sorrow, loss, pain, emptiness, when you feel those things, 
I can't provide for myself. I need someone to provide for me. God is orchestrating those events. We are wise. We receive wisdom. We see God more purely at the day of death than at the day of life, of birth. This is not our death, our birth. This is how God is moving events to shape us. So the point is, press into your pain. Press into your your hardship. Press into your difficulty. Because it's in those moments where you realize who you are and who you are not. And who God is and who he is not. And it's when you do that that God begins to speak wisdom into your life. And the dead brown leaf of you begins to flower and be green and strong. Because we rightly view God and we rightly view ourselves. Verse 2. It is better to go to the house of mourning than to the house of feasting. For this is the, all, this is the end of all mankind and the living will lay it to heart. Better go to the house of mourning than to the house of feasting. I would really, really, really rather go to a party where there's lots of great food than to go to a funeral. Because it's just more fun. But is that what we're really after? When seeking wisdom, it's better to go to the house of mourning because we are aware of our position. We see God more clearly. Verse 3, sorrow is better than laughter. For by sadness of face, the heart is made glad. Is Rick just saying it's better to, sorrow is better than laughter? No, that's not what this verse is saying. It's not saying that sorrow is better than laughter. But when seeking wisdom, when seeking to rightly view God, when seeking to have wisdom placed inside of you, you're more likely to apprehend wisdom. You're more likely to see God more purely when there's mourning and hardship in your life. That's true. And so the the problem is, is that our culture, our Western civilization of Ease and comfort is at war with this. Everything that we labor and suffer for and and strive for, everything that's on our Christmas list, is designed to bring comfort to us, is designed to be at war with mourning or hardship or difficulty or pain. But it's in the middle of those circumstances when we see God more purely, when wisdom is closer to us. Verse 4, the heart of the wise is in the house of mourning, but the heart of fools is in the house of mirth. It is better for a man to hear the rebuke of the wise than to hear the song of fools. It is better for a man to hear the rebuke of the wise than the song of fools. If there's, this is, here we go, this is dirty, ugly community. If you see sin in someone's life, if you see sin in your own life, would you rather have someone blow smoke up your butt or get in your face? Would you rather be the the smoke blower or the one getting in the face? It's just easier not to, right? But do we really want wisdom? Do we really want to see God more purely? Better is the rebuke of a wise man and the laughter of fools. Do you want to be wise or a fool? Don't shrink. This is a, each one of these verses. Here's, uh, 
I don't know if you know this, some of, all throughout the, the series of Ecclesiastes, in your bulletin has been engage God through Ecclesiastes this week. What it is this week is sit alone with Ecclesiastes 7, 1 through 12, and read them multiple times this week, and meditate, and listen. Verse 6. For as the pot, for as the crackling of thorns under a pot, so is the laughter of fools. This is also vanity. The laughter of fools is like thorns under a pot. They're going to burn. They crackle. They make a lot of noise. But very soon they're going to be gone. Surely oppression drives the wise into madness, and a bribe corrupts the heart. Better is the end of a thing than its beginning. And the patient in spirit is better than the proud in spirit. Man, these are arrows piercing through the armor of your flesh. And here's one that levels me lately. Be not quick in your spirit to become angry. For anger lodges in the bosom of fools. Can I tell you, I've got anger lodged in the bosom, in my bosom, in the heart of me. Don't laugh at that. Everybody's laughing at that. My, I've got anger lodged in my heart. And it's ugly and I hate it. It brings me to a place of deep regret. But it's in that place where God meets me. Be not quick in your spirit to become angry, for anger lodges in the bosom of fools. I don't want to be a fool. Say not, why were the former days better than these? For it is not from wisdom that you ask this. Because we're, we're so concerned with right now. It used to be better. Why can't it be like it used to be? Because God doesn't want it that way. Because God wants to invest wisdom into you. He wants to, you to see him more purely. He wants to relate to you, and you relate to him more purely. Wisdom is good with an inheritance, an advantage to those who see the sun. For the protection, listen to this, this is, this is huge. For the protection of wisdom is like the protection of money. You ever been walking down, like maybe in a line somewhere, and you see somebody and they've got like a $20 bill about to fall out of their pocket? Hey man, you might want to, that's about to fall out of your pocket. What if we acted like that with wisdom? Hey man, you got some wisdom about to fall out of your pocket. For the protection of wisdom is like the protection of money. An advantage of knowledge is that wisdom preserves life of him who has it. 
So what does this mean? What does this look like? I want to put four things in front of us as we close this morning that help us to understand the practical application of all of these things. What has happened in our lives, in in and around our lives, to show us this? Tim Keller says this. I used this quote last week, but I want to put it in front of us again because it really gets to the heart of this. This is one of the four things. If grace has really changed our hearts, we don't ultimately care if life goes the way we want it as long as we have him. This is wisdom. This is the heart of wisdom. Seeing God purely for all that he is. Experiencing God purely for all that he is. We don't care if life goes the way that we want it. We don't care if we meet the man of our dreams. We don't care if our wife and, I, and you are relating perfectly or not. We don't care if our children are crazy. We don't care if our job is the one we want. We don't care if our church is the one we want because the ultimate goal is not those things that the world tries us to, to get us to value. Do you see the perspective changing, what you value? We don't ultimately care if life goes the way we want it because he is the end. The joys of acclaim, wealth, and power are nothing compared to the eternal acclaim, wealth, and power we have in him. This is wisdom. That's the heart of wisdom. This is what God is trying to teach you. Take your hands off of creation. Take your hands off of the thing this world tries to get you to value. Take your hands off of the thing that your flesh tries to get you to value and value him alone. Uh, This next quote comes from a guy who, two years ago, Thanksgiving morning, uh, he wakes up, he's playing with his kids, his wife says, will you come over here and, and help me with this pie? He stands up, the next thing he remembers is waking up in a hospital room. The next thing he remembers after that was the, was the doctor saying, you have cancer on your brain, on the front part of your lobe, about that big. Next thing he remembers is, did my, what did my kids see when I passed out in my, my, my living room? Two years later, he's back to where he was. God has healed him. Some of you guys know I'm talking about Matt Chandler, uh, pastor in, in Texas, who we got to hear speak this week. And this is what he said. The highest highs and the lowest lows are God-begotten moments meant to perfect what he began in you. This is coming from a guy who, who wrestled through cancer, who thought he was going to die, and, and it could come back at any moment. The highest highs and the lowest lows are God-begotten moments to perfect what he began in you. This is wisdom. I know a lot of stories out there of people that are engaged in this church. And most of them in this current season aren't high highs, they're low lows. And, and I think Ecclesiastes has a lot to do with that. We engage this concept of helplessness and vanity. And what we see on the surface of, of what's going on is dark and hard and difficult. But underneath of that is God showing up, showing himself to be strong. Because the highest of highs and the lowest of lows are God-ordained moments, orchestrated events designed to perfect you. <clears throat> I don't know if you guys know this, but several years ago, John Piper also had cancer. In the midst of that, he wrote a book called Don't Waste Your Cancer. 
in that book, he says this, Satan's and God's designed designs in your cancer are not the same. And we can insert anything for cancer. Satan's and God's design for your confusion, for your family, for your job, for your sin are not the same. Satan designs to destroy your love for Christ. God designs to deepen your love for Christ. Cancer does not win if you die. It wins if you fail to cherish Christ. God's design is to wean you off of the breast of the world and feast you on the sufficiency of Christ. It is meant to help you say and feel, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. Now the fourth instant of the application of this comes from what I talked about last Saturday. Last Saturday night happened to me a week ago yesterday. And I put it in front of you guys last week. I was angry at every single person in my house. And I yelled at them in a matter of about eight minutes. Every, all, all four of them. And when I say yell, please don't hear some pastor saying yell. I, I mean, I was like veins bulging yelling at all four of them. And Jen comes to me with a rebuke. And my response to that rebuke is, see you later walked out the front door and took a walk. I don't even remember where I went. And the anger that had lodged itself inside of my heart gave way to confusion and pain and what in the world is going on. And that gave way to knowledge of my sin, which gave way to I'm a failure in every aspect. As a dad, as a husband, as a pastor, I'm a failure. Which gave way to poor me. And I sat there on a bench weeping about how much my life sucked. But this I call to mind, therefore I have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord endures forever. Great is your faithfulness. It's Lamentations 3, and it's God met me there. And in the midst of, of death and hardship and pain and difficulty, I saw God in a way, in more pure way than I'd ever seen before. If John and Matt were standing here, they would say because of the cancer, because of the hardship in their life, they saw God in a more pure way. This is wisdom, and it should be more important for us to gain wisdom than it is to gain money. We should be protecting our wisdom more than we're protecting our money. That's Ecclesiastes 7. This is the gospel because our helplessness leads to our contentment. Do you see that? Your helplessness leads to your contentment. Your helplessness sends you to Jesus. Your helplessness makes you wise. This is the gospel. 
without a knowledge of darkness, without a knowledge of death, without a knowledge of hardship, we don't run to God. But in the hands of a loving and wonderful God, the gospel says to you, I got this. Rest. Rest. I'm orchestrating events so you can see me more purely. I'm cleaning the scratches and smudges off of the way you view me. That's wisdom. Do all that you can to get it. Let's pray. God, I pray that your gospel would be apparent in our lives. God, we need you desperately. Would you speak your truth into us, God? God, would you speak your truth into us, please? God, we're really good at putting on armor to keep the gospel away from us. Lord, teach us what it means to fear you. Teach us to live there and not be afraid of darkness and not be consumed with immediate comfort, God. May your gospel penetrate us. Thank you for Jesus. It's in his name.